we need to remember that Jesus came to earth as a baby. We celebrated Christmas recently, right? He came to earth as a baby. He was perfect and sinless and lived this wonderful life. He walked a long road to Jerusalem. He was hung on a cross willingly, paid the price for our sins, your sins, the sins of the world, died a death for us so that we would not have to. Then he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death for all time, for all eternity, for all people. Whether or not people believe in him, he died for their sins. And that's the gospel, and that's the good news. Then, when Jesus was resurrected, um, he was walking around with his disciples. He was teaching them the word. He was showing them that this really is the life. And uh, in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, this is right as he's about to be taken up into heaven, we have, there's Luke, there's Luke, there's Luke, wait, Acts is after Luke, I know my Bible, I do, there we go, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, this is Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples right before he goes right up into heaven, so he's having his last, most important conversation with the disciples, if, if you know that you will never see someone ever again and you have just a few moments to give them something very important. This is where Jesus is. He's going to go right into heaven okay? and he needs to give them something very important. And this is what he says to them. <clears throat> you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the most remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, two men in white clothing stood beside them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky of this Jesus whom has been taken up from you into heaven? He will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. Now, here's the really important thing. Jesus came and he did this work. And then the last important thing that he told his disciples was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we talked about what that meant last week. But there's a twofold thing here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's like you can't have one without the other. Okay, The Holy Spirit upon you empowers you to be a witness. And that's what we're going to look at today. That there is a twofold promise. It's not just that you get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit and you get to be a witness. Jesus didn't say this. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you might be my witnesses. It doesn't read that. It also doesn't read, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you could think about being my witnesses. It doesn't say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you could be a witness when it's convenient for you. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There is something really um, life-changing when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and lives in you, that you are then compelled to be a witness because you, in your own life, have witnessed something about your life prior to Jesus, the Jesus experience that you have had, and then your life since you've met Jesus. You have witnessed what God has done in your life, and you can't help but be a witness. Whether or not you're a vocal witness, um, is up to you. That's your obedience or disobedience in the Spirit. So, today we're going to look at what it means to be a witness. 
To be a witness is literally just to testify to the truth of a matter, to the things that you've seen and experienced. We know this in the court system, right? We've all seen Law and Order or a movie in which they stand at the witness stand and they put one hand up and one hand on the Bible and they swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. God needs to help them tell the truth is what the, uh, the oath says, and we need God's help to testify to what we've seen. Think of it like this. You're driving down the road and you witness a car accident. Okay? You actually see two cars collide, and then they pull over to the side, and you pull over to help them, and uh, they have called the police because the damage is as such that they need to call the police, and the police come over to you and say, can you tell us what you've seen? And you say, sure. I saw car A hit car B, and car A was definitely crossing the intersection inappropriately on a red light. That's what I saw. I witnessed it. That's what a witness does. A witness says what they have seen. But if you saw the car accident, car A run through the intersection, hit car B, they pull over to the side, and you go, I'm just going to keep driving. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm just going to keep driving down my, my road. I'm going to go to my destination. I'm going to leave that car wreck in the past. You are still a witness to that car accident. Just because you drive past and choose not to say what you've seen does not mean you're not a witness. You can't unsee that car accident. You are still a witness to that car accident. Now, you have a choice to stop and be a witness or to drive by and not be a witness. Faith is no different. Once you've seen what God has done in your life, once you've experienced that transforming power from the inside out of the Holy Spirit and God has started to work on you and create in you a sense of holiness and a desire for Him and for His Word and for His fellowship, um, you can decide to share what you've seen God do or you can decide to keep your mouth shut, to share with the unbelieving world around you the hope you have in Christ, or to live life visibly no different than the world around you with this little secret of Jesus in your heart, which is really not what he's called you to do. Today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 22. So if you'll flip there, um, that's where we're going to be focused today. Acts chapter 22 is a demonstration of what it looks like to witness. There's a man named Saul. We saw a little video about him. He was a huge sinner. He liked to find Christians and have them killed. That's what he did for a living. He really didn't like Jesus followers. But then Saul met Jesus one day, and Jesus changed Saul's life so much so that he took on a different name, Paul. And then Paul became a great witness for Jesus because everywhere he went, he talked about Jesus. No matter what the circumstance, he talked about Jesus. No matter what it meant for his life or his future or his safety, he talked about Jesus. Even if he had to leave everything behind, he talked about Jesus because Jesus did something so great for him. So we're going to look at Paul's testimony this morning and see what that could say to us because we're going to see that Paul says witnessing is really simple. It's just three things, and only two of them you have to do. Witnessing is simply that you speak your own language. You have a story to tell. It's, it's yours. It's your life history. It's your language. It's your passions. And so you are uniquely you. You just get to share who you are. You tell your story in your own language, who you were before you met Jesus, who um, you became after Jesus, and what that was like when you met Jesus. It's going to look different for each and every one of us because God meets each and every one of us in a unique and different way because we all need him in a unique and special way. And then God does the third thing. He changes people's hearts. We don't change people's hearts. 
We're awkward. We're clumsy. We don't use the right words. Sometimes we insult people when we don't mean to. Um, sometimes we stick our foot in their mouth. And we, we are people, okay? We're sheeple at best, okay? And God loves his sheeple, but we don't save people. God saves people. We're just called to testify to what God did in our own lives. You know, we, um, <clears throat> we all took a Bible, right, a few weeks ago, most of us. Um, one of these nice, hardbound, really big copies that doesn't fit in your pocket or your uh, purse. You took a Bible to share as God gave you the opportunity. And hopefully you've all been praying about this person that God put on your mind to share the Scriptures with, to share Jesus with, to um, seek ways to show that person tangible demonstrations of love. Sometimes it's just sharing a meal with them. Sometimes it's just encouraging them. Sometimes it's going to be sharing the gospel with them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, to the weak I became weak, right? So that by any means I might be able to share the gospel and win some for the sake of Christ. This means this, that um, we're not expecting others to be where we are spiritually. That we're not expecting others to be where we are emotionally or physically or relationally. That we are expecting people to be where they are. And we are to go where they are and share Jesus with them. We don't expect them to be where we are. We go to where they are. That's what witnessing is. We are witnessing not because of us, but because of Christ in us and the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to testify of Christ. And so, this morning, we are witnesses, motivated by the Holy Spirit, because Jesus did not just say, you will receive power, but he says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So let's look at what that means. In Acts chapter 22, we're just going to start in verse 1 through 3, and it says this. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense, this is Paul speaking, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. And he said this, listen, I'm a Jew. I'm born in Tarsus of Sicily. I was brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. And he's speaking to the Jews here. He's, he's, um, he's given them a little bit of history about himself. He's talking to them in their language, literally. He was um, bilingual. He spoke Greek and he spoke Hebrew. And when he's addressing the Jews and he's addressing the people of uh, the uh, religious leaders of the day, he's speaking in Hebrew. Now, that got their attention, right? Because he was speaking literally in their language. If you go to... Czechoslovakia, okay, first country that popped in my mind, and you speak in English, you're not going to, you're going to have some struggles to communicate your story, right? Because not everyone in Czechoslovakia is going to know English. But if you go to Czechoslovakia and you can speak in their native tongue, wow, they're going to say, this foreigner knows my language? Maybe I should speak to them, or at least I can have a little bit of a conversation with them. Speaking in someone's language really helps them understand what you have to say. Paul spoke in Hebrew. It was their native tongue. Um, Paul's native tongue was Greek, not Hebrew, but he learned it and spoke it. He was raised a Pharisee in Rome, and speaking their language kind of gave him street cred, if you will, with these people. Um, When I was serving in Whitefish, uh, I went to the ministerial association meetings with a bunch of other pastors in the city, and we would have people come in to encourage us with different things about how God was doing things in the community, and um, we had a Christian biker association in our town, um, big motorcycle group that would drive around the 
the valley. And they were great, and they looked a little intimidating, but they were teddy bears. They were awesome. Um, and the president of the Bikers Association came to speak to us one day, and, uh, and he said this, listen, you all are great. And he was really not insulting us. He was just being very honest. He said, you all are great, but look around the table, will you? And so we all looked around the table, and he said, what do you see? And I just see pastors. We're just people. He goes, no, no, no. Y'all are wearing polos and button-up shirts. Some of you have pleats in your tackies, okay? And he was telling us, listen, if you go to a biker function dressed the way you're dressed, they're not going to listen to you because you're not one of them. And then he said, listen, I'm one of them. I'm a Christian. I have the flag on my back. He wears his colors. And he turned around and showed us the biker emblem that he wore, and he was dressed in leather and all this stuff, okay? He said, listen, I'm a Christian biker, and when I go to non-Christian biker events, they will listen to me because I know the front end of a motorcycle from the rear end of a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. He says, I know how to drive a motorcycle, and I don't have pleats in my khakis. I can talk to these people about Jesus because I speak their language. They speak my language. We have something we share in common, and so I can be one of their society. So a unique language, and that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, in 9 uh, starting in verse 19, it says this, For I am a free from all men. I have made myself a slave to all that I may win more. To the Jews, I became like a Jew so that I might win some. To those who are under the law, I became like one under the law, but I'm not under the law. But I did that so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, I became as one without law. But I'm not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. But I did that so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all means we might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel. So Paul's saying this. Listen, um, you need to know what your unique language is. You need to know who you can best communicate with, you don't speak Hebrew, probably. Right? Anybody speak Hebrew? No, okay. I don't either. Okay? Um, and that's okay, because I doubt very many people here in Ketchikan speak Hebrew. Um, if you want to share Jesus with someone, um, you need to know what your language is. Some of you hunt, yes? Yes? Okay. Some of you hunt. Um, others, maybe walk your dog around the lake, yes? Take your dog on hikes. You enjoy nature. You go to the beach. Some of you have been hospitalized for an illness, maybe. You've been there for a duration of time, or you've struggled with cancer. You've had a marriage that was broken and put back together. Um, these kinds of things, these are life experiences that give you a unique language, something to speak into the lives of those who are currently experiencing the same thing. Like, if you like to walk your dog around the lake, and you're a Christian, then when you walk your dog around the lake, and you see other people that are walking their dog around the lake, you have an opportunity to say, you like dogs, I like dogs. You like lakes, I like lakes. Why don't we walk together and just share life? And in those opportunities, you might develop a friendship. In those opportunities, you can talk about the different breeds of dogs or why you like this dog or I don't know, whatever. It's your language. You speak it to the people that you hang out with. Your language might be one that's a hobby or an experience that you've had or maybe a passion. And it puts you in a place where you can speak into the lives of others without being weird. And I think I've said it before. But it, it needs saying again, um, don't be weird when you're sharing the gospel, okay? Just be normal. Unless your version of normal is very weird, then try and be normal for the sake of the gospel. Um, we're just being honest. We're family, right? I can say these things. Um, 
Let me put it this way. If you're not a sports guy, don't go hang out with the jocks and try and talk sports, okay? It's not going to go well for you because the conversation will go something like this. Hey, those dolphins, they're a great swim team, right? And then the conversation is over. You have no way to redeem yourself in that moment for the people who are like, wow, who is the weirdo and why are they trying so hard to talk with me? Um, if you're a jock and you know your football from your soccer in multiple continents, then there is a common ground for you to start the gospel conversation with those people who like sports. You can build a relationship talking about sports, and then slowly but surely, you can share Christ with people. But when the time comes, and you know your unique language, and that people group that you hang out with, that you can speak into, um, when the time comes, do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to share your testimony? Because this is vital to being a witness. It's stating what you've seen, stating what you've experienced. So it starts with your story. It continues with your actions, and it finishes with God's results. And I think I'm behind here. You have a unique language. There we go. Um, and here's the next. Your story. This is the important part. This is unique to you. Your story. Life before you met Jesus Christ. This is the first part of your story. Verses 3 through 5 say this. I'm, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I was brought up in this city. I was educated under the most famous religious leader of today strictly according to the laws of our fathers. I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. I was like the best of the Jews, is what he was saying. You know, I, I persecuted the Christian way to the death. I, I bound people and put men and women into prison. And also, as the high priest and all the council of elders can testify, from them I received letters to the Christian brothers, and I started off for Damascus to bring even those who were there in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul's saying, listen, this was my story before I met Jesus. I was a guy just like you. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't care about Jesus. In fact, I didn't like him so much. I found people who liked him, and I had them killed. That was my job, and I wore it like a badge. I was so proud of what I did before I met Jesus. Rubbed elbows with the high leaders, killed people. Horrible sinner did wrong to Christ and you. This is what Paul is saying. Um, and what he's saying to us here is, it's okay to have a life before Jesus. It's okay that you once didn't know Jesus. It's okay right now if you don't know Jesus, because God can do something great with your life. Did you sin? Yep, so did Paul. Did you sin? Yep, so have I. So has everyone in this room. Life before Jesus is a life full of sin. And Paul's saying this, you don't need to boast in your sin, but you need to boast in what Christ did through you and overcoming your sin with the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to tell the story of your life before you met Christ, because it's not that your sin that's glory, but it's God's glory in what he did after that with you. And that's why the second portion of your story is how you met Jesus and received salvation. What your life was like before Jesus. Whatever it looked like, whatever you did, it's part of your testimony to the glory of God that he pulled you from that and did something better with you. We cannot be ashamed of our past. It's what God did with us. Then you met Jesus and you received salvation. And here's the story of Paul, who was literally on a road trip. He was on the road to Damascus to find people and have them put to death. And then Christ did this 180 thing with Paul. 
Because Paul was headed to have Damascus, headed to Damascus to find people and have them killed. Um, but in God's sense of humor, he changed Paul's heart and then uh, did a 180. Paul went to Damascus not to find people and kill them, but went to Damascus to find lost people and help them have eternal life. A complete 180 in Paul's purpose and life. So when he talks about his encounter with Christ, um, he didn't like Jesus. He didn't like Jesus' followers. He was minding his own business, doing his own life steeped in sin, and then suddenly Jesus met with him on the road to Damascus. Blinding light, whole Jesus experience. It's like the Shazam moment of Paul's life, okay? Undeniable Jesus encounter. The sky was parted. There was a blinding light, a voice from heaven. He fell on his knees. He became blind. Um, he really met Jesus, or rather Jesus really met him where he was in the middle of his sin, Jesus said, I still want to have a relationship with this guy. If you've met Jesus, he met you in a way that was unique and special to you. It might have not been a blinding light. It might have not have been a Shazam, you went blind moment, okay? He might have met you in the quiet while you were driving to work one morning and just spoke to your heart real softly. He might have met you because a friend said something to you and suddenly God opened your mind and heart. God meets each one of us in a different way. He met you in a way that was special and unique to you and um, others won't have seen the, maybe the working of the internal side of things, but they'll see the evidence of what God did in here as you live it out. And you can share your experience with Jesus without fear. You need to be willing to say what your life was like before you met Jesus. You need to be willing to say, I was a sinner. Like Paul said, I was the worst of sinners. I had people put to death. But God rescued me from that. There is hope. My life is better because of Jesus. Do I still struggle with things sometimes? Yes. But God is here to help me and encourage me and continually pull me towards the way of life. That's what Jesus has done for me. I was a sinner, but then Jesus saved me. And then there's your life since you gave your heart to Jesus. This is the third part of your story. Your life since you gave your heart to Jesus. What does it look like? Five weeks. After you met Jesus, two years after you met Jesus, 17 years after you met Jesus, 50 years after you met Jesus, how has your life changed since you've met Jesus? And if you've only known Jesus for five days, maybe it's just a little bit of glimmer of hope that God has given you, but you know it's from God and you can say, listen, I was hopeless five days ago and now I don't know where I'm going and I, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I have hope that there's a God who loves me and takes care of me. Maybe that's all you've got to say at this point. Don't diminish small beginnings with God because small beginnings turn into great things. Fifty years down the road from now, growing in the faith, your testimony is going to be amazing. God saved me from this and now I have been in the faith for so long and here's where I struggled, but here's where God has been faithful to me. This is your story, your life before Jesus, the moment you met Jesus and your life since you've met Jesus. And here's what you need to do with this. You need to be able to tell people this. Two minutes. This is your challenge as believers. You need to be able to give a two-minute version of your story. Okay? Two minutes. Because you might not have more than two minutes with someone. You might be in the checkout line. You might be passing someone when you're walking your dog. You might, I don't know, have two minutes with someone. And the opportunity shows up and you're like, oh, this is one of those moments where I need to share the gospel. And then you panic and you don't know what to say and then you do something weird. 
okay? And we've all been there, okay? And, uh, and you need to kind of work this out in your brain before you get to that moment, right? When we talk about uh, purity with our children, we say you need to know ahead of time before you get into a situation. You need to know ahead of time with peer pressure to say no to drugs so that when the moment comes, it's not a question. You just say no, these kinds of things. Well, Christians, you need to know ahead of time how you're going to share the gospel, what your story is and how to phrase it because when the moment comes, you want to be ready to give an answer for your faith, Scripture says. You need to be able to give a two-minute version of your story, what you were like before Jesus, how you met Jesus, what your life has been like after Jesus. That's very, very, very simple. And you need to be willing to be transparent with that. You can't just say, my life has always been great, and then Jesus made it even greater. Three gold stars for Jesus. Life is great now. Um, Because that's not accurate, necessarily. We have all struggled. We've all been through down things. And it's through those terrible moments in our lives and those sins that have struggled um, in our flesh that God says, this is where my glory is made known, not in your strength, but in your weakness. So you need to be willing to say honestly, I struggled with this, and it has been a struggle. It still is a struggle. God's still working on this with me, but I have hope that he's seeing me through, and here's the ways that he's given me victory. You need to be willing to be transparent, and if someone asks you, what do you mean by that? You need to be willing to go deeper than two minutes. You need to be willing to take your time and say, this is more important than anything I could be doing in the moment, sharing Jesus with someone. If someone says, well, what do you mean you struggled with? Drugs, or what do you mean you had a broken marriage, or what do you mean God brought you through a, a life altering medical experience? What do you mean by that? How did that happen? How did you not lose hope? How did you not lose faith? How did that inspire faith? You need to be saying, This is the moment that God has ordained for me to share something fantastic, something life altering with someone who doesn't yet know hope. Two minutes, and then be willing to go deeper. And here's where your job ends. This is all you do, you just simply testify. Your job ends here. This is where God does his thing. God's results, verses 22 through 29. They listened to Paul. And this is Paul sharing all of his story. They listened to this statement. And then they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now, I want to tell you, I don't want you to be scared. Most people, when you witness to them, will not say, I wish you weren't on the earth. Okay? Most people will be just, okay, that's a nice story, or I choose not to believe, thank you very much, or okay, that's great for you, but not for me. I have yet, in my witnessing experience, have someone to say to me, away with you from the earth, would that you were not here. That's never happened. You don't have to really worry about that, okay? That was probably unique to Paul and his situation. Um, But as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined and and beaten so that he might find out the reason for they, that they were shouting against him. And when they stretched him out on the, the rack, they used the rack, great there. Huh? This won't happen to you if you witness. Um, Paul uh, said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to beat a man who's Roman and uncondemned? And the centurion heard this and went to the commander and told him, saying, what are you about to do? This man's a Roman. It was illegal for a Roman citizen to be beaten without trial. Roman citizens had great status there, okay? The Roman citizen um, asked, uh, the commander asked Paul and said, listen, are you really a Roman? And Paul said, yep, a Roman by birth. The guy who was about to beat him was only a Roman because he bought his citizenship. Paul had a greater citizenship than the guy who was going to flog him because he was born into it, born into it. So those who were about to examine him let go of him. And the next day, wishing to know for certain, the story goes on. They beat him, they flogged him, they 
You know, they did all kinds of things to Paul. But no matter what they did to him, he trusted God with the results. Listen, when someone says to you, away with you from the earth, I don't want to hear your message. Oh, and by the way, um, I'm going to throw stones at you. I'm going to flog you or I'm never going to be your friend again. Or now our work is going to be really awkward together since you've shared this portion of your life with me. Um, That's not up to you. Okay, You're not responsible for other people's actions or responses. God does the work. Some people will receive Christ and some people won't receive Christ. You don't save people. Just because you witness doesn't mean someone's going to get saved at that moment. Scripture says some people water and some people plant seeds and God provides the harvest. Okay? So what we need to be careful about here is this. We recognize that God is the one who changes the hearts of those that we witness to. This is a vital truth in witnessing because believers can become prideful when it comes to witnessing. And sinful even when they say, look at how many I've saved. I've witnessed to hundreds of people and saved hundreds of people. But in reality, you've saved no one. Only God has saved. And those who are still living without the hope and joy of Christ in their life, they don't need to feel pressure from a person to be saved. When you're witnessing with someone um, and they don't know Jesus and they have no hope, don't make them feel more hopeless by making them sign on the dotted line. Simply share what Christ has done for you and let God do the rest. We are not their salvation. Christ is their salvation. Christ longs for them to be reconciled to him, longs for their sins to be forgiven and redeemed and cleansed through him, to know grace and unconditional love, but he's not going to force it on them. And he's not uh, wanting us to act like that's how God does things. Salvation is important. It determines your destination after this life. So I'm not trying to downplay the urgency of witnessing. I'm trying to tell you, don't witness like you're the one that's saving people. Just witness like this is what God did in my life. And man, he is just really awesome. I'd love for you to know him. When you want to know more, come talk to me. Got a great book I'd like to share with you. And in that sense, I want to share something with you guys. You guys have taken Bibles. Man, those are hard to carry, aren't they? Like, if you tried to put one of those in your pocket so that you could be ready when the time is right for that one per I mean, you carry this around all day, that's a little weird, okay? I'm, I'm just looking for that moment. Every time you see that person, I'm praying for you, okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got some, right? I look at your names in the front. I, I, every day I'm on my... Yes, you want to pray every day for that person. You don't want to be weird, okay? But you want to have something ready so when that opportunity comes... You can share pocket version. Very, you know, It fits right in your pocket, right in your purse. They don't know that you're the creeper that has the Bible ready to give them. Okay? This is called the Gospel of John. This is just a little Bible track, and it's a great way to start someone off. What you want to do is carry one of these with you. In your car, in your pocket, it's actually called a pocket testament. They made it so it goes in your pocket. Um, you want to share this. And keep this. You want to have these handy because here's the thing. If you get to a moment where someone says, could you tell me a little bit about why you're happy all the time or why you have joy in the midst of trials or why, you know, whatever their question is to you. And it's God providing you a doorway to share the gospel. And then you go, well, what do I believe? Who's Jesus? And you go through that moment of panic. In the front, it says this. Where did I come from? Oh, God. Us, that's mankind, is separated by sin from God. It just walks you through how to share the gospel with someone if you need help, if you just need the basic gospel. And then it says this, the gospel of John. 
And there it is, page by page, the Gospel of John. The best, in my opinion, book to start someone off on. A radical view of Jesus. Who doesn't want to know a Jesus who got down and dirty with sinners and who really, like, touched the lepers and and did some things that we're scared to do, but Jesus did. He got in people's lives. But we want to do that, too, because we're witnesses to what God has done when he got in our life and changed messy to slightly less messy and is continuing to do that. What I want to do is give you guys an opportunity to take some. I've got about 30. Um, Yeah, always come prepared, right? Um, Camo version is the only kind I've got. I figure that's okay in Alaska, right? Camo version. Um, And uh, you're going to want to take one of these and keep it. Now, what's neat about this is you don't save people. God saves people. You might hand this to someone and they walk off going, ah, yeah, thanks, that's great. And they shove it. You, you actually see them as you're driving off. They throw it in the back of their car. I've seen that happen, okay? Um, and I think, great, it's going to amount to nothing. But what's interesting about this is, is I have an account with Pocket Testament League because I've been uh, getting these Gospels for probably about 10 years now and, and handing them out. And um, I have a unique number um, that Pocket Testament League knows me by. And there's a sticker in the back. Um, That number allows me to go online and see if anyone gets saved with one of my pocket testaments. Because if someone gets saved, it says at the end, you can go and enter this number and let that person know that their gospel did something. That maybe not their testimony, but maybe people and people have passed it on or maybe it got left at a bus station and someone picked it up and read it and got saved. And Probably not everyone enters the digits on the website, but someone did once. I logged in just... Three months ago to check, someone in Missouri got one of my pocket testaments. I've never been to Missouri. I don't know how it got there. God did something and someone got saved. Um, just because I was faithful at some point, I don't even know where. Um, we don't know how God works or when God works um, in the lives of the people that we witness to. All we know is that we are to share our story. What we were like before God, how we met God, what we've been like after God. Faithfully share that and let God do the rest. He started a revolution just by coming to earth and uh, saying a few things to 12 guys. That multiplied out over the course of the years, and here we are, right? We can do that for the next couple generations. So I want to say this to you. Um, When we're worshiping today, come and get a pocket testament. They're probably not enough for everyone, but hopefully close. Um, I'd like to get some more, and you can get some more too. They're free, by the way, Pocket Testament League. You can check that out. Great thing to carry, and they come in more than camo, so... um, if camo's not your style and you like roses or whatever, they got pretty ones too. Um, but that's not my style. I carry camo. Um, I encourage you to be bold in sharing your faith. And I'll close with just this because next week we're going to be looking at what it means to be persecuted when you share the gospel. But I want to share this with you. Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the things to come, the kingdom. But before all these things, They will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and to the prisons before kings and governors for my name's sake. And it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Isn't that weird? Isn't that funny how God works? Um, So make up your minds not to prepare defense for your actions beforehand in the sense of your earthly actions, but be prepared in your heart Because God will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And you will be betrayed by your parents and your brothers and your relatives and your friends. And they might put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. This is the promise we have. Life will not be easy as a Christian. 
And if you are a Christian who's faithful to witness, your life will be doubly not easy. God doesn't say Christianity equals easy. God says Christianity equals a fruitful life, an eternal life. And he says this, you will be handed over. Life will be difficult, and that will give you the opportunity to witness. So I want to challenge you this week. Look for those difficult moments. Don't look for the easy moments. When life gets really tough, that might be the opportunity God's providing for you to share the gospel with someone. Are you aware of those opportunities when they come by? Pray about that this week and ask God to open your eyes, blind you to the world and focus you on the kingdom, as it were. I'll just close with that. We'll pray and we'll worship and come get a pocket testament that you can put in your pocket. Just as easy as that. Father, we give you thanks today um, that you have called us to be your witnesses. And you didn't leave us alone, Lord. You gave us power of the Holy Spirit that we know in the power of the Holy Spirit we can do greater things than even you did. So, Lord, give us boldness. Give us eyes to see the opportunities and um, help us form a two-minute version of our story, Lord. It's not fancy, but... It's us, and it's who you've made us to be. And, Lord, through that, you will do great things for your glory in this city, Lord. Help us make a dent in that 7,000, we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God has given you a testimony if you believe in the Son of God. And whatever it is, it's your testimony, and God gave it to you. So you get to go share it, and then watch God do something fantastic I would encourage you guys this week to willing to be used and to practice your two-minute testimony. Practice it on the way home. Practice it over lunch. Practice with your family. It's a great way to go about sharing your testimony and encouraging your family as well. Look like a conductor there. There you go. Um, Go and have a great time this weekend. Share the gospel with someone and go to a home fellowship, right? Right. Amen. Go in peace.